Welcome to the Fit for Golf podcast. I'm your host, Mike Carroll. The goal of the Fit for Golf podcast is to share entertaining and insightful conversations based around golf, fitness, and health. In today's episode, we are joined by PGA Tour player Mackenzie Hughes. Mackenzie tells us how he overcame a triple bogey en route to his first PGA Tour win at age 25, his ridiculous scoring streak at his home club, and how a dedication to his physical training has positively impacted his golf game. We also touch on how Mackenzie and I know each other and some of the work we have been doing together. This podcast is sponsored by the Fit for Golf app, the only golf fitness resource you will ever need. Check it out on www.fitforgolf.blog. It is not available in the App Store. Mackenzie Hughes, thank you very much for joining me. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Mike. How you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Um, how's your golf been going? Did you play today? Uh, I haven't played today. Uh, so today in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, they uh, typically close most country clubs down, kind of a maintenance day. Uh, for the golf course so um just been hanging out with the family today um and hopefully get a workout in a little later excellent very good we'll touch on some of your workout stuff a little bit later what we're going to start with is a little bit more to do with your golf career and the progression that you followed rather than going through early childhood how you got into the game and all that stuff which might come into some of the questions later I would like to start with something I'm sure you've no problem talking about is the RSM Classic in November 2016, your ninth start on the PGA Tour, your fifth start as an official member, you won your first PGA Tour event. What I would like to go to, rather than the winning, is if we can jump to Saturday, you had a little bit of a hiccup along the way, which all golfers are familiar with. There's not many golfers can make a triple bogey on the third round of a PGA Tour event, and still win. What I'd like to hear is what's going through your head as you're walking to 12. Yeah, so uh, I can I can remember all of that very, uh, very clearly. And it wasn't just, you know, a triple and, you know, I was leading the tournament by, I think, two, two or three shots at the time. And, but I mean, that was essentially my only adversity of the tournament at that point, because I hadn't made a bogey until that point. So I'd gone, uh, I think I'd gone 46 holes without any drop shots. And then all of a sudden I make triple. And so, you know, that was a bit of a shock to the system because things were going along, you know, nicely and um, just feeling really great about things. And, you know, that, that moment was kind of, that was my tournament right there. I mean, that, that tournament could have been lost in that triple in the last seven holes, or, you know, I could have kept myself in it and, you know, re- retaking the lead. And, uh, I kind of remember telling myself that I was, that I was playing just way too well to let that thing, let that bother me. And, um, it just, the way it unfolded was really unfortunate. I got a couple bad breaks and, but, uh, you know, my response, like the next hole, I had a really tough chip and um, I got up and down and I, I buried the next hole after that. And I remember thinking to myself, like, once I kind of got my feet back under me, you know, nothing felt different. I mean, I had, I had given up my, my lead, but I was like, you know, you, you would have killed for this position, you know, starting off Thursday. So I just kept reminding myself that I was playing great and I was in a great position. And yeah, you know, Sometimes, you know, those weeks you 
respond to those things better than other weeks. And in that week, I, I really responded to that well. And I just put my head down and went back to work. And, you know, again, like I, I, I could have lost that very easily. And, and, and had it been two weeks earlier or uh, a month later, you know, maybe something in my life would have, you know, altered the way I would have reacted to that. But uh, I reacted to it really well and um, ended up being, you know, kind of a defining moment of the tournament for me. Yeah. So what Which people, a lot of people really forget about that. Like, you know, it's funny that you bring it up, but like people bring up the playoff and the, you know, the putt I made to win, but it's like, you know, that doesn't happen if I don't respond to that, that moment really well. No, a hundred percent. So what I was interested in when I was looking up that tournament is, okay, you made triple on 11, like golfers get into trouble, but what you may not expect to see with, you know, a PGA tour rookie is, triple on 11 when he's leading the tournament often that turns into you know 74 they kind of hang their head on the way in you birdied 13 15 16 shot 68 and still held the lead yeah so that that was basically ties in with what you were saying about you were able to turn it around and say okay i'm still in really good position yeah yeah Um, you know to have a one-shot lead going into sunday um you know i knew as I was getting to the last few holes Saturday, I knew I was around the lead and it was important for me just from a mindset standpoint, like I wanted to finish in the lead. Um, you know, I wanted to be the guy everyone was chasing. And as a rookie, I can't explain why I wanted to feel that, but I did. I just wanted to be, I wanted to be on top. I didn't want to be tied for lead. I wanted to be in the lead solo and the guy that everyone was looking up to. And yeah, the way that round finished off, it was it was incredible, and um, again was able to you know play well Sunday uh, or well enough, and um, but yeah, Saturday was uh, was probably the biggest round of the tournament for me. Yeah, so that ties perfectly into the next question I wanted to ask. Golfers and people in general are very happy to talk about say physical work they're doing on their game, whether that's golf swing, putting stroke, short game, improving their strength or mobility. Some people find it hard or aren't as comfortable talking about things that they might be working on mentally, dealing with their attitude and, you know, overcoming setbacks, basically holding yourself together. Is that something that you've specifically worked on, that you've a structured approach to? Have you sought help in the area? Or has it just been with professional golf over the years, gradually gaining experience, you've figured it out? No, you know, I've definitely, I mean, I've had help with that, um, kind of ever since the amateur golf days um i was part of the golf canada um national amateur team and also part of the national uh pro team when i turned pro um and that was huge because we had resources um such as a sports psychologist to use and uh that was huge for me because you know as a teenager and growing up into amateur golf you you sort of lack that maturity still you're just you you know you you have a handle on it but you know, it can come and go. Um, and that's still something I work on uh, to this day. Um, but, you know, for me, I've, I've had some, you know, like with some uh, caddies in the past, I've had some, you know, heart to hearts where sometimes you don't even know some of the stuff that you're doing without, you know, someone pointing it out to you. You know, you might become so caught up in, um, you know, saying certain things to yourself or maybe your body language, you're just not picking up on those cues like someone else that's watching you uh, would do. And 
especially a cat that's been there with you a long time. Um, so I, you know, I've been fortunate that, you know, a, a few caddies have been able to, you know, you know, be honest with me and tell me these things. And sometimes they, you know, aren't the things you want to hear, but need to hear. Um, and so that, that's been great. I've had, you know, guys and, you know, I've learned from caddies too that, you know, have also, um, you know, like I had a caddy uh, a couple of years ago, um, you know, I wasn't playing well and, and we had a, you know, we ended up splitting up, but I mean, um, I know that my attitude was, was, um, you know, getting worse with the, the poor play. And it was, I was really struggling, uh, confidence wise. And, you know, that's a hard place. You know, it's sometimes someone can't even pick you up out of that. You just need to work your way through it. And, um, and again, you know, everyone wants to kind of, you know, go through that together. Sometimes it's just, you know, better to, you know, to go your separate ways and, and to try and, you know, find a different way uh, or a different person to work with and get your way through it. But um, I've definitely been conscious of that throughout my career and, and continue to work on it. Um, but, you know, and I would say I'm doing a, a, a good, a very good job now, but I've had moments in my career where, you know, it, it's needed to be addressed, need to be worked on. And, it's just one of those games that, you know, especially when you've poured a bunch of time into it and you've, you know, invested a lot in it uh, when it's, you know, you're not getting the results you want and it's not going your way. It's, it can be tough. You know, it can be something that really, you know, drains you and, and wears on you. And um, it's, it's a perfectly natural thing to have happen. And uh, I think even talking to some of the best players in the world that, you know, have some of the best mental games, you know, you, they still go through periods and have phases where they, you know, struggle with that sort of stuff. And, um, definitely for me, it's something that I think separates my good golf from my great golf. You know, when I played well at the Honda classic, uh, just about a few months back there, I, I was really great so at for anybody who, who didn't keep up to date with the Honda classic, you made the cut on the nut. So that was the last tournament that you played in before yeah. the coronavirus shutdown. Yeah. We're recording this on June 1st, 2020. So the PGA tour is just about to start back up, but you made the cut on the number and then shot 66, 66 on the weekend to only miss out in a playoff by one. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. 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 So, um, but I mean, just some of the stuff I was doing, you know, from a mental standpoint, uh, was allowed me to make the cut, you know, on number and then, uh, you know, to play as well, as well as I did on the weekend. Um, I was just doing so many great things. Like when I would hit it into trouble, you know, it wasn't like I complained or, you know, moaned about a bad break. It was just, okay, what's my, what's my next step? How am I going to get, you know, a good look at par? What And just kind of looking at it kind of more matter of factly rather than like, I wish I could go back and do that again. Or, you know, man, you're, you're an idiot. You know, none of that stuff, right. It was just kind of like, okay, this is my next task. Let's focus on this. What I've done just the prior shot is no longer, you know, something I need to be thinking about. Yeah, And um, just again, when I look back at like the RSM, I look back on like the Honda, nothing physically stands out to me. I mean, sure. There's, there's parts of my game that I go, wow, that, that was certainly maybe above average but I have those weeks fairly often, but those weeks can be, you know, tainted or, or held back by, you know, a poor outlook or some negative self-talk or anything like that. 
And um, so I think that the biggest thing for me is if I have a handle on, on my mental game and my outlook on, on golf and life, then typically a, a, good, a good tournament or, you know, a good result will follow. Okay, cool. So obviously, based on that, you have worked on your mental game there's and your approach to it. I'd like to learn a little bit more about the progression of, say, your golf skill as your playing standard went up. So if I just give some of the listeners who aren't familiar a little run through of how you got to the journey you took to that RSM Classic win in November 2016. So in 2013, your first year as a pro, you didn't make it through Canadian Tour Q School. But that year, you won your first Canadian Tour event. What's cool about this is you won by one shot, shooting a nine birdie 66 in the final round, birdieing five of your first six and four of your last five holes. Um, So you finished that season. You graduated onto what was the web.com, now the Corn Ferry. Didn't manage to keep your card that year. It was a 2014 season. 2015 season, no status on the web.com, no corn ferry. I think you played in Canada for that 2015 mm-hmm. season. Yep. Uh, 2016, so obviously you must have gotten your web.com status back. Yep. In August, and this is when things kind of get a little bit crazy, based on what we've touched on today, it's like basically you're looking at a, a young, struggling pro. No no, no offense, basically, yeah. but that's, yeah. what, that's what the numbers would, would kind of suggest. Yep. But August 2016, shoot 64-66 to win the Price Cutter Championship on the Web.com Tour. November 2016, a couple of months later, you're a PGA Tour champion, winning the RSM Classic, and you finished 36th in the FedEx Cup. So from that 2013 Canadian Tour missing Q School to losing your card in 2014 on the Web.com, what happened? So from from 2015 to 2017, was there, did you identify clear areas in your game that you'd seen weren't up to standard compared to other guys? Is it just a golfer getting hot? Basically, how did that happen? So it's definitely not, you know, a golfer can get hot, but, you know, in order to make that progression and that leap, I mean, you can't just say, oh, you know, someone got hot and, you know, over a two-year period because, you know, clearly I you know, had had sustained levels of, you know, high play and, uh, you know, in Canada in 2015, that was a big year for me, even though from a financial standpoint and from, you know, world ranking standpoint, it, it didn't mean much in the big picture. But I look back at that year as probably one of the biggest years for my development because 2014 was, you know, little fish in a big pond after coming from Canada you know, feeling pretty good, pretty high on my golf game. And then kind of getting that, you know, that humble, humble pie served back at you in a sense like, Oh, oh, there's some other good players around. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, wow, there's some, you know, really big guys. And, you know, I haven't played, you know, these are some of the best players from college all over the country. And, and, uh, they're all hungry and working really hard and they're all trying to make the PGA tour. And, you know, 2014, I had, I had big years, um, and looked around a lot and was, you know, pretty much willing to listen to anybody that had any advice for me as I was going through a tough time. And, you know, I learned quickly that, you know, people that don't know you or don't have your best interest at heart, 
you know, aren't always going to tell you the, the, the right thing or the best things, you know, they tell you what they think, but you know, unless it's coming from someone that you trust, I mean, it just doesn't, doesn't mean anything. And 2015 was a big year in that I went back to Canada and I was just really committed to getting back to things that got me there in the first place. You know, like what allowed me to, you know, win the order of merit on the McKenzie tour and make that jump. Well, getting back to those things in 2015 allowed me to have really, a really nice year again. Um, I think I finished just outside the top 10. Of the mind. I think I finished 13th on the mind list that year, which was still a nice year. And um, I didn't win, but, you know, had many chances to win and, and felt like my game was, again, trending back in the right direction. And so, yeah, 2015 was was that year where, again, I, I got back to those those little things, got back into my, my own little process of how I wanted to do things. And I wasn't listening to just anybody, you know, and I wasn't trying to – I think a very common mistake amongst professional golfers and, and just people in general is, is trying to be someone that they're not, you know, and, and trying to get really good really fast when golf kind of takes that methodical step-by-step – you know, day by day approach, you know, I'm not going to get, you know, 10% better in a span of a month, you know? And so that was really big for me that my, my progression there started to really trend up from there. But even 2016, 2016 was a tough year for me starting out. And, but again, I was a little more patient that year in trusting that, you know, what I was doing was still the right things. And it was just a matter of me kind of having that little bit of a breakthrough and, I did kind of, you know, in the middle of that summer and then about a month later had the kind of the ultimate breakthrough to win, which again, you look back on my year in 2016 and I, at that point when I won, I was still kind of trying to lock up my web finals berth. So, which is the top 75 on the order of merit. And I was still trying to lock that up when I won. So I went from like trying to get myself into a, playoff and in the, the playoffs and trying to play for my tour card to winning that event and having my tour card. So it was uh, kind of a wild ride that week and the emotions were, you know, all over the place. So, yeah. what And then was that just a continuation brought that good form and the sort of confidence from winning on the web.com into the RSM? Yeah. Yeah. So 2016, the fall when, you know, RSM rolls around and, you know, say we fast forward to Sunday and yeah, I'm seeing off off with the lead and, and because I've won on the web.com, I, I, I basically convinced myself that it's no different. Like the things that you do to win at any level, they're the same. You know, I have to control my breathing. I have to go at my own pace. Um, I have to be, you know, kind of in my own little world, be present, not to get too far ahead of myself. And so all these things that I was doing to win on the web, you know, two months earlier, I was like, it's the same exact thing. There's more at stake. There's more money, more prestige, but none of that changes what you need to focus on right now. And so I convinced myself that those were the things I could, I could, I could, I could control. And if I could just do those things really well, that this is mine to win. Yeah. That's so it, again, why I had that, you know, I guess calm and, and, and belief, uh, in probably the most pressure filled situation in my life. You know, I, I, sometimes you can't really explain why, but I just was able to kind of step into that place that week. And, you know, that was the week my life 
you know, on the golf course forever changed, you know, as I, as I now have a three-year exemption essentially, you know, cause I went early on in my first year and all the things that it opened up for me at that point, you know, it, I mean, it was life-changing. And so, you know, to this day, I still, you know, reap the, reap the benefits of, of having that, uh, that win. And, um, so just, again, I, I just had that belief and, I uh, was able to kind of put it together that week, but you know, sometimes you just can't really describe why. Yeah, that's 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 great. Uh, wrapping up on the RSM, we'll move into a couple of other things then. So, for anyone who's not familiar with what happened in that tournament, obviously you came back from the triple on Saturday, which we touched on, made three birdies on the way in, but in the playoff, it went to Monday morning, and you you hold an eighteen foot par putt. And then watched Camilo Vajegas, Blaine Barber, and Horlick, Henrik Norlander miss par putts one by one from inside 10 feet. So what goes through your head for the first 15 seconds when you realize you're a, a PGA Tour winner? And the other thing that I was going to touch on, you're now a millionaire at 25 years old. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was... To touch on your last question, it wasn't the money wasn't anything that hit me right away. Um, but in that first 15 seconds, you know, Camilo was lost, got a putt, and you know, as he missed his, it was really just kind of disbelief because when I made my putt, I was first in, you know, I was the furthest away, and in my head, <clears throat> that just got me to the next hole. So now I'm just mentally preparing for the 18th hole. We're going back to 18, par four. And I'm like, well, I've, I've still got a chance. I'm still in this. And it just kind of, like, again, my mind wasn't there in that place where, like, like a win was a possibility at that point. It was like, okay, first guy missed. I'm like, okay, well, you know, there was going to be at least probably one miss. And then the second guy misses, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's surprising. <laughs> and then it's just down to, to Camilo. And, I, and then it, it hit me where I was like, wow, if this doesn't go in, I win. But then I was like, hey, stop, stop. It's going to yeah, go yeah. in. It's going to go in. And I was like, just prepare for 18. We're going to 18. We're going to 18. And then when that misses, it's just like you can't believe what you've just seen because, you know, I would say three minutes earlier, it looked like I was going to be out. And, you know, potentially that that whole week, that whole, you know, grind of playing with a lead all four days was going to be gone. Yeah, the whole thing was going to be over, but then three minutes later, I've won on that very green. So like the turn of events and the emotions were just so incredible because like, yeah, I missed the green long left, and I you know my chip was close, but you know left me the furthest away. And then again, a few minutes later, I'm I'm holding the trophy and I'm being interviewed, and and my mom and my wife are running onto the green, and it was just so wild, um, you know. And I still remember you know, what those feelings were like. And, and that really is what drives me, you know, every day to, you know, to get back to those feelings and to, you know, there's nothing better than, you know, finishing a tournament and knowing you beat everyone that week and, and holding a trophy. So um haven't been able to do it since, but um, I've, I've been close a couple of times and it's, uh, it's, it's the greatest thrill. Very good. At that stage in your career, how significant was the money for your financial comfort and security. So you're 25 years old, had had, you know, a couple of years on the Canadian tour, Corn Ferry tour. 
we often hear of, you know, the grind of the, say, uh, non-top tier tours for, you know, basically funding your way. We all, like a million dollars is is a big deal no matter who you are. But did that change your sense of, say, comfort and stability and things that you were able to do just in your your everyday life and just your, your mindset, essentially? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no question that the, you know, when it all settles down and, you know, the dust settles, it's just like, okay, you know, that money hits your account and you go, well, you know, we can afford a few different things and we're just, you know, you're not wondering um, quite as much about the future. You know, you're, you're feeling a little more settled with what you have. And I remember it wasn't even just that, you know, I think with, with that win, it was a financial freedom when you win a million dollars, but it was also knowing that you were playing the PGA tour for the next yeah. th- basically three years. Three years. Yeah. You know, so I, I knew that, you know, again, even with, when, with this, especially with the confidence from that win, I was like, you know, I'm going to be able to, you know, make more money. And in the next few years, I'm hoping to make, you know, plenty of, you know, your, millions apparently. Yeah, you know? and, so, and so I'm, I'm like, I'm comfortable in my own head thinking that, wow, you know, you've played Canada and you've played uh, web.com. And so now you have that, freedom that you've never felt before and not only that i've never had an exemption before you know to, to play the year after and the year after that yeah you know so to know where you were playing <clears throat> financially to have that um you know that in your pocket as stability. well yeah the stability was just was amazing and um you know actually only a few months later my wife and i got pregnant and that even made that so much less stressful you know if i had been pregnant with my wife a year earlier on the web.com, I would have been a little bit stressed just yeah. knowing that I wasn't quite where I wanted uh, to be financially, you know, the, le- the left to right six footer is for uh, a little diapers. bit more when you're, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, it was great. Yeah. And you know, it's not, it's not about the money. I, w- I would probably play golf for peanuts. Um, but again, when it comes down to it and needing to feed your family and yourself, uh, that money definitely goes a long way. So Mackenzie, really cool summary of essentially how you've gotten from the Canadian tour to being a PGA tour winner in a three year time span, basically. What I want to ask you about next is how much thought have you given to the possibility of playing in the Olympics? So unless you're in the world top 15 by June 21, 2021, you need to be in the top two Canadians in the world rankings. Currently, I think you're 168. Adam Hadwin is 55th and Corey Connors is 66. Now there's obviously a lot of golf to play between now and then, but Mm -hmm. is the Olympics something that you've thought about? Well, to answer your question, yes. Um, and to tell you how in tune with it I am, I'm actually, so I'm actually 158 uh, oh. because I, I'm, again, I'm very in tune with where I stand with those guys. Um, and it's something that I, uh, I guess, have marked down on my, uh, on my goals as uh, something that, you know, I desperately want to achieve. Um, and so I actually look at something like that almost every day. Uh, reminding me of, of, you know, that that's something that I constantly think about at this point. Um, now, obviously after the Honda classic finish, um, I was looking at about three months left of time to qualify. And honestly, when it coming off that finish, 
I was really feeling kind of bullish with both my chances. Um, you know, I was like, well, I got a few months, some big tournaments coming up. If I can really, you know, put the hammer down here and you never know what could happen. Um, but obviously now I've, I've got more time, um, which I think is definitely in my favor. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm really excited about that opportunity. Um, you know, it doesn't come around very often, you know, you get every four years and, I don't think as a golfer it's maybe on your radar early on because it really wasn't, it wasn't an Olympic sport for, for quite a, quite some time. And now that it is, and you have that chance to be an Olympian and uh, compete for a gold medal, uh, you know, wear your country's flag on your back. Uh, I just, I couldn't imagine uh, the, the honor that you feel doing that. Um, so yes, that's uh, definitely on my radar. Um, and Again, given the the new criteria and the new dates for qualifying, uh, it's definitely going to work in my favor. Excellent. Yeah, I'll definitely be keeping a close eye on that. So you touched on using, say, things like rankings there to almost, you know, fuel your your motivation a little bit in terms of where you stand. During a PGA Tour season, how closely are you tracking the different statistic measurements and do you use them to inform how you practice or maybe approach your strategy or anything like that? I would say I, I look at them um, quite frequently, but I don't, I don't get glued to it. I don't, uh, you know, like for example, a driving accuracy stat um, can sometimes be misleading, right? So you could say, you know, he's hitting sixty percent of his fairways, for example, and but the quality of his drives and the ones that miss, you know are just out the fairway, you know, or they're, you know, five yards in the rough, you know, it's not like he's hitting, you know, that many fairways and the ones that he misses are out of bounds or in hazards. And, and so like, I look at stats like that and I go, you know, while this number doesn't look like what I want it to be exactly, I know that I'm actually driving it pretty well. So if I, you know, have a week where my driving accuracy may be a bit down you know, I can attribute to, you know, either windy conditions sometimes or hard fairways to hit, firm conditions. Um, so those stats are important, but it's almost like sometimes more important as to like how you stack up against the field. You know, like if you were hitting half your fairways for the week, but that put you in the top 20, you know, in the field because of the way the fairways were rolling out and how bouncy and crusty they were, that could be a great, a great driving week. Now the stats might not reflect that numbers wise but you know it 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 varies a lot depending on conditions but i would say throughout the course of a season you know i'm aware of where those stats are and how how i how i stack up but again i i trust my own feedback on my game almost more than i would you know the stat like i know that you know if i'm not putting well I, I generally know that, you know, I don't need a, a stat telling me that I, I lost. Like if I, if I go through a round and I shoot, you know, 69, but I missed four birdie putts inside 10 feet, you know, my strokes game putting is not going to be very good that day. You know, you miss those chances and you miss those putts inside 10 feet, you know, you know, you've left some out there and, and that's not more you're going to, you know, go post round and do a little bit of chalk line maintenance, a little bit of mirror work and, and try and clear it up for the next day. But, you know, I don't need stats to tell me that, um, I think playing golf long enough and knowing your game well enough, you just, you kind of know right away. Maybe you hit a couple of loose tee balls in a, in a round. You're like, Hey, I just want to go to the range, put alignment stick down, hit 10 good drives, you know, try and get a good picture in my head. 
and go at it tomorrow, you know, but I don't need to go to my shot length dat- data and go, oh yeah, you're right. I did hit two shots, you know, in the trees offline. Yeah. And I need to, you know, have that feedback. I, I just know. And uh, I think some guys for sure would take a more, you know, exacting and detailed approach to it. But I, I found that it's better for me to be a bit more simplistic with it and just say, look, you know what? I'm not, <clears throat> not driving it my best. I just want to spend 15 minutes after my round, try and clean up a little bit and do better tomorrow. You know? So maybe use those statistics more for like a season to season thing. So you can see a longer term trend rather yeah. than reacting tournament yeah. to tournament or day to day. Yeah. Yeah. And like my putting prior to the Honda classic, um, hadn't been that great. Um, but it didn't change what I needed to work on. You know, I was still working on the same things, working on, you know, the same things in practice. I just needed to be a bit more committed on the golf course, you know, to the right things. I think sometimes you get caught up in, you know, <clears throat> thinking about results or thinking about mismake. And my best putting and best golfing usually comes from the fact that I focus on one or two really small things I can, I can control, like good tempo, holding the finish, um, hitting the putt solid. Like those are little things I can control that allow me to putt my best. But if I'm just thinking over a five foot putt, oh, I need to make this putt and nothing else. <clears throat> you generally hit bad putts with poor tempo because you're so concerned, you know, out there, you know, versus being, you know, present and focusing on what you can control right over the ball. So I think that's the biggest thing for me um, in trying to do that better and better, you know, as the days and <clears throat> weeks go on, if I start doing that better and better, the results get better and better. Yeah. Stats take care of themselves. If you keep yeah. sticking to the plan, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so Mackenzie, we got to know each other from basically six weeks ago. You got in touch for a little bit of help with your fitness work, primarily interested in making sure that your training was going to be helping you enhance your club head speed, an area you identified that you had some scope for improvement. We'll get a little bit more into that later. Um, I wanted to ask you, we hear a lot uh, as golf fans from golfers talking about their team, the people that essentially help them to play their best. Would you mind giving us a little bit of an insight into what Mackenzie Hughes's team is, whether that's somebody you employ in a professional capacity or just how family helps, basically? Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, everyone's team would include, uh, their family. I think family first and foremost, uh, you know, when it either comes down to parents, uh, wife, um, it's, uh, it's paramount for me that, you know, I have people that understand what I'm trying to do and that, uh, you know, are understanding of what my goals are and what it, it takes to achieve them. So that's first and foremost, uh, you know, family. And then, um, I'd say for me, like my golf coach, um, and I actually have, I have two, one, um, Derek Ingram, who, um, is kind of my, uh, on the road, uh, traveling week to week uh, on tour. So he's the head coach of the men's national team. And I've known him for probably 12 or 13 years at this point. And so we go way back and, uh, he also coaches Corey Connors. So he's one of my guys, um, and again, a huge part of my team, but my other golf coach, uh, from actually before Derek was Scott Cox, And 
he's, you know, arguably one of the, you know, top minds in Canada and as far as golf swing goes and, um, you know, is really well researched and knows, knows his stuff. Um, yeah. so I'm sure, you know, most, uh, you know, golf kind of golf nerds and golf, uh, you know, people would know who Scott is, uh, you know, he's, he's getting, uh, quite a following now. So, um, he would be part of my team as well. Um, you know, I use my same sports psychologist from, uh, back in my golf Canada days. Um, so, and then I go through spurts with that. Like some, sometimes I don't feel like I need it quite as much and some days I need it more than others. So that's not as consistent, but it's something I definitely, uh, would attribute to my success as well. And then, uh, caddy caddy's a big part of the team. Um, you know, arguably one of the top, you know, top, um, I would say priorities is that, you know, that, that relationship and that, and, uh, you know, how well that works because I might spend more time with my caddy than I do my wife, you know, when, when you're, yeah. in full, when you're in full swing of the season, uh, we spend a lot of time together. So, uh, you know, that needs to be a really well functioning relationship and, and healthy. So that's, uh, you know, definitely been something I've, uh, tried to focus on and, and, and make, um, make a priority. I mean, it's like you need to kind of nurture that like you would a marriage, you know? And, uh, so that would be my team. Um, some pieces kind of, you know, come and go a little more than others. Um, but you know, without those pieces in place, you know, I'm not the full player I am right now. Um, all, all of those people, uh, you know, had, had huge contributions, um, in one way or another. Great. With the PGA tour shut down, you've been playing a lot of golf in Charlotte. What courses do you play? Who do you play with? Do you gamble? And most Mm -hmm. importantly, tell us a little bit about the scoring streak that you went on recently. I don't know how it's developed since you told me about it last, but that is something that I told a couple of buddies that I play regular games with um, just to almost illustrate, say, the difference between a tour player on tour and a, a tour player hanging around at his local club. Yeah. Um, so the course I'm playing at right now is uh, TPC Piper Glen. And, you know, they, they've been relatively fully functioning uh, minus the clubhouse side of things, uh, which, again, is probably uh it was unique to this area at the time and so uh i was spending most of my time out there um playing with basically a variety of guys uh you know guys that play up in canada um latin america um some guys that play on the corn ferry uh also play with a lot of members you know members that like to uh put some money down and, and play now obviously we're playing handicaps and everything like that so um which is, it's just so fun. I mean, as long as people are honest with their handicaps, uh, you know, it's fine. But, um, so that's kind of who I'm playing with and where I'm playing. And, uh, yes, I do gamble, but, um, you know, none of my gambling is very exciting. Uh, and I'm not like Phil, uh, or any of those, those guys just, you know, casually throwing down a couple thousand dollars. Just to keep you sharp a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, something to focus on and, and whether it's 20 bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever it is. I mean, it's just something that like makes you, you know, dial in a bit more and, 
kind of makes you focus on um, the things you would focus on in a tournament, you know, to, to get the results you want. Like, you know, you can't be focusing on, you know, say the money or the results quite as much, but again, focusing in on that process and those things you can control. So I think those matches are good for that. And just playing golf in general is good for that. You know, I, you know, you can be on the range and hit 20 drivers in a row beautifully. Um, but that doesn't mean anything. Uh, you know, it's great for your confidence and, and stuff like that, but it doesn't, it doesn't give you, um, anything to go with on the golf course other than that confidence. Right. And so what you do, what you go do on the golf course is what matters. And so playing golf to me is, is, is really important and, and probably the best practice I can do. Um, and what was the last part of that question? So, so I, oh, I, it's the I scoring I, streak. Yeah. So for, before, before we get to the scoring streak, what handicap do you play those member games at? So it's kind of funny the guy that um, organizes the game, um, he's put me down for a plus three, <laughs> which <laughs> for the first four or five weeks I played on the weekend with these guys, I, I was cleaning up. I was, doing, <laughs> no, I was just going to say. I was, doing, I was doing pretty well. If, if and, we play, uh, you you won't be off plus three. I'll cut that much. <laughs> and we had, um, we had a few... Um, anonymous complaints from the from the group that I play in that uh that maybe not be an appropriate handicap and uh his response was well it's a it's a celebrity fee you know we get uh, we get the pro to come in so you know. yeah 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 but uh so I've been recently adjusted to a plus six um which is probably a bit more appropriate especially playing where I'm playing uh and being familiar with the golf course um I can I can go there pretty comfortably and you know expect to shoot 68 or better uh pretty much most days now i'm not i'm not saying that to brag but just oh, the yeah. length the length and the familiarity with the golf course uh it just lends itself to to being able to score pretty well and uh so to your point earlier the scoring streak i think when i had talked to you last you know i, I said said something like you know i had played seven of my last eight rounds at 66 or better or something yeah. like that and uh after that, I had continued that really up until up until I think two days ago. I hadn't shot higher than sixty six since I talked to you, and I shot sixty nine last Friday, um, which had been my first round over sixty six in like ten think, rounds or so. Or 12. Yeah, ten, ten, ten to twelve rounds. And I mean, I don't like it's par, obviously par, par seventy two. Par seventy two. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, and obviously not so I had I think I think three sixty fours mixed in there, a couple sixty fives. Um but I mean it's one of those things that um you know, the more I play that golf course, I get familiar with it. Uh greens are a little bit slower, uh par fives are all reachable. Um so but again, you have to put the ball in the hole regardless, you know, whether you're playing six thousand yards or uh 8,000 yards. Um, but you know, scoring like that, I think is great. Now, if I go play, you know, the colonial next week and I play, um, colonial country club, I don't expect to shoot 66 every day. Like it's, you know, the home course I'm playing, uh, there'll be some more difficult shots. Uh, I won't be as familiar with the golf course. Conditions will change. Um, so, but again, I, I don't, I don't, 
to devalue that uh, importance of just shooting low scores, playing well, putting the ball in the hole. Uh, those are all valuable things as you go, you know, play golf anywhere. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been nice. It's, it's kind of strange. Like a lot of those rounds I pulled up, you know, moments before my tee time, you know, got either a band warm up in or something very brief. And, you know, with it, without even hitting a ball, I'd go to the first tee and, and shoot 66 or something like that. And, nice. So, you know, and, but uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go next week to colonial and just, you know, do a band warm up to go to the first I, tee. I think that's you now most, most people who are around golf long enough, they, they understand this. Some people don't, they don't see the, the difference in the levels, but I think that's a good barometer for say the difference between say someone who's shooting one under two under three under occasionally at their home course. And, you know, somebody saying, Oh, you know, why don't you give the pros a shot? You know, are you thinking yeah. about turning pro Q school? And then you talk to somebody like you, PGA Tour, legitimate PGA Tour player, 10 to 12 rounds or something close to that at 66 or better. So yeah, it's really cool just to see what that level is, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a couple of guys in the uh, group I play in of members. And uh, I think one guy's a, plus off a plus one, um, you know, playing at his home course every day. And he had texted the guy, that organizes the group and said he wanted to play with me because he wanted to see how close he was. And, uh, I just thought yeah. to myself, wow, like dude, just, you know, again, like people just don't quite get it, you know, yeah. like, you know, shooting 71 at the course that you play at every day, you know, is a far cry from anything you need to do at a PJ tour golf course. I mean, from, you know, rough conditions to the speed of the greens to, you know, just people watching you, um, there's just so much more that goes into it than, you know, what a member might see. Um, so, but, you know, I gladly give him a chance to try and, uh, oh, good. That goes. Yeah. good, good, good for him though, to be willing to say, let me just see, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But that's also the guy that you play with in the pro-ams that you don't particularly love playing with because, yeah. you know, he wants to beat you and he's trying his absolute hardest and like, He's just like so gung ho, and you're, and he's like, just he's like that overbearing, too much type of. You yeah, know, you're yeah. you're trying to provide a good experience for the yeah. Amateur like I want, I want, I'd rather, play, I'd rather play with a guy that shoots ninety, but rather have fun and enjoy himself, rather than the guy that's like, oh, I'm going to beat you today, but I'm playing the whites and I'm you know, <laughs> seventy yards ahead of you every hole, but I'm going to drive you and beat you. And I'm like, well, you know, fair play to you, but you know, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. So uh, no, that's that's great. That's that's yeah. so, that's something that I think a lot of people are interested in though, you know, is like how how good are are the best players. I'm gonna go one more question on golf, if that's okay. Yeah. And then yeah. dig into your training a little bit. I'm I'm conscious of yeah. your time. Um what majors are you currently in the field for? Do you do you have so status I I as things currently stand, I would be um in the pga off of a money list that runs basically uh from about last may to current current time um now that's not official because you know we'll have a bit more golf to play before that cutoff happens but as it stands right now i'd probably get in the pga uh and then not in the masters because that field is frozen u.s open if you win do you get in the masters between now no it's just it's a frozen field 
Yeah. Okay. So whoever was in in April is in. Um, the U.S. Open has gone away from their qualifying process, so uh, that's one that I've played in a couple of times, and uh, I don't really have a chance at the moment um, unless something changes in their qualification process where they start going off of uh, FedEx Cup or or something along those lines um, to give me a chance to get in. That'd be awesome. And then not in the British either. So currently in one, okay. hopefully getting into maybe a couple more. Yeah. But Masters is uh, off the table until next okay. April. Yeah. All right. Hopefully we're in it next year. Yeah. Um, so if we dig into your training just a little bit and basically how we got to know each other, uh, anyone who follows me will be familiar with me preaching about the importance and the value of club head speed, particularly at the pro level. Mark Brody and his strokes game statistics have made it pretty clear to see the advantage. You don't have to be a genius to go through the money list and world rankings and look at the distance of the guys who are at the top. But something that was interesting when I looked at your trend, and this is nothing to do with me, it was before we started working together. In 2013, when you were kind of in your beginning pro days, uh, just after leaving college, your average club head speed was 111 miles per hour and powder, last year, powder puff yeah <laughs> so since then though what's been really cool is you've incrementally improved that and last year on tour on the pga tour your average was 116.5 so you went from 111.7 in 2013 to 116.5 in 2009 so just for people who aren't, you know, what the hell does miles per hour of club head speed mean? Basically, what that means is that for each mile per hour of club head speed increase, with all else being equal, so we keep the strike the same, you're looking at in the region of a 2.5 yard carry distance increase per mile per hour of club head speed increase. So for you, that's a 10 to 12 yard change in carry distance as an already professional caliber golfer. Mm-hmm. So two questions on that have you noticed your game changing like has has that carry distance materialized is is how you can approach a golf course different from 2013 oh yeah uh noticeably um you know i'm a i'm a club longer than i would have been back then um stronger out of the rough and you know have the ability to carry a few more bunkers than i wouldn't have had the ability to before um but just from an overall swing standpoint, I felt like I've been able to be, be, be a bit more consistent by uh, keeping a more consistent mass on me uh, back in 2013, 2012. Um, as I was finishing up amateur golf and turning pro, um, 160 pounds. And you're six foot one, correct? Yeah, just under six foot one. But yeah, 160 pounds and just a, a really wiry, lanky guy. Um, but not not necessarily like fast fast enough but i wasn't like you know really fast twitch you know long drive type guy and so i had a very you know lean frame very little you know extra body fat on me and um but now my game is significantly changed with the added distance um more weight and i'm just more aware of those things but it's been a very like I would say consistent and kind of methodical approach to, you know, gain that speed. I've been doing a lot of the right things for a a long time and now it hasn't always been perfect. And I think we've, you know, kind of addressed some of these, uh, some of these holes, but I've had a lot of good guidance over the years too. Um, and I've taken some of it on my own 
my own direction as well. But I've had a lot of the good guidance from from some very smart people. So, uh, you know, in the course of those three, four years or so, uh, was doing some great things. And, um, yeah, I mean that, that, you know, four to five mile an hour, you know, jump in speed is, is, is really big, uh, as, as you can attest to. Yeah, for sure. So you basically have had a, a 20 pound weight gain in that time span from 2013. I think you're about 185 the last time I, I checked your, yep. your update. So yeah, like yeah. one, 160, 165 to 185 over, the course is sort of seven years and a corresponding increase in speed of five miles per hour and clearly a corresponding change in the level of golf you've been playing. Now, there's obviously yeah. more to it than, than just, you know, getting yeah. big and stronger and hitting the ball further. But um, so obviously you, you mentioned that training has been one of the things you were focusing on a lot there. Would you say that that increase in speed was more so to do with you just becoming a bigger and stronger athlete? as opposed to changing your swing or improvements in your swing that also help with your speed? Um, that's a great question. I, I would say, you know, there was very incremental changes in my swing, but not super noticeable to the eye, you know, but just like being a tiny bit more efficient, um, you know, small setup changes. But I, honestly, I wouldn't say that my approach to the golf swing really ever changed. Like, a lot of my, you know, my big keys are, are rhythm, you know, staying in my posture, uh, trying to kind of rotate left through the ball. I, I like to see the ball fall right. So a lot of those things I do um, really didn't change much. Um, but in the gym, you know, I was consistent with like, you know, like if I was getting ready for a round of golf, um, take you back to 2015. 2015, um, I would do a dynamic warm up before every round and, that involved, you know, dynamic, dynamic stretching with a band, um, some active movements with like say high knees and, uh, some walking lunges with rotation and, uh, some, uh, karaoke's, which I'm sure you're familiar with yeah. some, some, some lateral shuffling, uh, high knees. I think I said high knees before, um, butt kicks just like, but trying to be like, you know, explosive through those movements, trying to be, you know, trying to move, pretty fast and, and warm up trying to get my body kind of fired up um and didn't really touch a whole lot of weight that summer um but all of a sudden i was doing some track man testing and you know i looked down and my ball speeds 173 174 and my coach and i are like where did this you know where is this going to come from like in this you know in, in just like a you know a short amount of time it seemed like i was doing you know some little things that were you know starting to make some some big some big impact and like I think I went from like, you know, mid to high 160s. And all of a sudden, like that summer, I was in the 173, 174 range. And that was massive, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, so I, I look at that and I go, you know, I don't look back and go like, oh, I was doing a ton, ton of heavy weights. And, but I was just, I was, I was very conscious of what I was doing uh, work, workout wise at the time. And, um, you know, trying to move, trying to move quick. And again, I had lots of great, you know, advice at the time because I was still part of a young pro team uh, with Golf Canada. So I was getting great kind of insight and advice, but it really came down to thinking about what I liked the best and what was working for me. Like, you know, at the time, that's what felt the best and how I felt the best playing was doing that, that stuff. And, you know, I, I could, 
I could do as much of that as I wanted to and never feel sore, never really feel that fatigued. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it was, it was, it was brief. Um, but it got the job done that I was looking to get done. It got me fired up to play, got the body primed. And so I look at those things and I, I still, you know, I, I still look at those things as like things that work well for me. Now, obviously you and I are, are, are doing our, um, our work together and, and that's, I've basically said, Hey, I'm going to do exactly what you lay out for me and you know, follow it to a T and we'll do just that. And I won't dilute it with anything else, but I think I it think coincides that, a lot of with what you're saying, you know, you found beneficial in the past though. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, for like, sure. For sure. Um, just in, in different ways and different exercises, but, um, for sure it does. And, um, but yeah, I, I've, I've always felt like if I felt really good physically, I, I was going to play well. You know, if my body felt good, I felt strong and my body was able to do what I wanted to do, regardless of whether I had practiced a whole lot or whatever, I felt like I was going to be able to play well. Now, on the flip side, if I didn't feel that strong, body felt tight, not that mobile, you know, golf would be a little bit harder that day. Yeah. You know, sure. those are days that you, you know, would love to grind out a 70 or 71 sometimes. And then when you're feeling great and you're putting awesome, you shoot 65, you know, and so... I, again, huge value to me on, on that sort of stuff. I'm, uh, I'm a big proponent of, uh, again, even during this quarantine, if I've got 10 minutes before my tea time, I want to do a band warm up or, you know, something like that versus hitting 30 balls or yeah. 20 balls. I, I, I want my body to feel primed and ready to go and that I'm not going to hurt anything versus just going to whack a few balls and, you know, some guys might say, well, I want to feel that ball in the face, just get that. But I mean, to me, once my body's warmed up, I've hit enough shots, you know, and you've, I'll, shot, I'll be able, and you've shot 66, your last 10 rounds in a row. <laughs> yeah, I'll be able to, I'll be able to put the ball in the face, um, you know, most likely. So, um, again, I, I think that, uh, to me, um, the physical aspect and, and what I've done, um, over the long period of time, like we go back to that 112 to 116 and a half, basically, uh, it's just been that steady progression of, of doing a lot of the right things, be, 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 but being patient with it, not trying to, you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, make a small joke, but I, I don't, I didn't go full Bryson and try to, you know, become a yeah. long drive guy overnight. Yeah. Um, because I just didn't feel like that was going to be good for my game, you know, and I've, I know a lot of guys, have gone that route and we've never heard from them again, you know, try to hit it really far and whatnot. So, um, yeah, anyways, I, I've, I've really enjoyed the work I've done in the gym. Um, I like that, that aspect of, of training. Uh, it's, it's fun for me. So it's not just about, you know, your daily life or sorry, not, not just about your golf game, but it's about, your daily life and, and feeling healthy and, and, and living a long life beyond golf. Yeah, no, definitely. I think we'll, we'll finish up now very shortly, but one of the real kind of key things that we've had when we've talked about your training is that it's one thing, say me trying to provide you with a training program that I think is going to improve your strength and power and enhance your club head speed. But the biggest thing for us is making sure we do that in a way that supports your golf practice and play you have yeah. plenty of energy. You're not tired and sore because at the end of the day, it's it's supportive assistance work. You know, it's it's not your yeah. priority. And yeah, 
that needs to be reflected with the amount of work you're doing versus, you know, just going kind of as hard as you can and going sort of powerlifter or bodybuilder mode versus, okay, how can we use, you know, yeah. physical training to enhance? The- well, I think too, it a lot depends on like where you're at in your career, right? Because, you know, take me for example, like if I was training with you and I was a single guy with no, no family, no kid, well, I wouldn't really be worried about my time constraints, you know, like I'd have all the time in the world to train practice. You can mix in a lot more. Right. Yeah. But now, you know, what I like about what we're doing together in our training is that, you know, it's not superly super over demanding in terms of like a, a time commitment. Uh, you know, every workout that we have, I can do under an hour, <clears throat> the speed workouts I can do in 30 minutes, not rushing through them, but like still taking my time. Um, you know, I have recovery days. So on those recovery days, you know, again, it's, it's nice that I know those days I've got my stuff to do and my, my mobility, but I'm going to have a good chunk of my day to focus on again, my number one priority, which is my skill, skill development, my practice and going to play golf. So as, as much as I do prioritize the the gym stuff, the, the big thing for me is again, being on the golf course, playing someone for something of some value to test myself and, and pre- prepare myself to go play on a PGA tour. Yeah, no, that's great. Mackenzie, right. I'm not going to take any more of your time, but uh, I really appreciate everything that you went through. I think a lot of the listeners will find it really informative and um, yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate yeah. it. And we look forward to watching you get back to competition yeah i'm excited um but i appreciate you having me on and uh maybe we'll do it again soon yeah thank you very much all right thanks mike a massive thank you again to mckenzie i encourage you all to send him a nice message on twitter and wish him well in his quest for major and olympic glory let me know what you thought of the episode and please leave a podcast rating and review i hope you tune into the next episode and chat soon